back in the fur shed for episode 34 of the Trapping Today podcast. Thank you for being here and tuning in. I appreciate you listening and uh, telling your friends about the podcast. Uh, I'm glad I've been committing to doing this podcast every week because if I didn't commit to doing it and getting in the habit of doing it, uh, I wouldn't be doing it at all. It's it's pretty amazing how things get tied up and, and uh, things that are not your priorities quickly fall by the wayside. But this has been pretty fun. Had a lot of feedback from you guys. Um, I enjoy doing it. And it is, uh, it's a really a positive thing, I think, to have a pod, another podcast for trappers. So anyway, really busy time of year, midsummer uh, for me in the uh, outside of the trapping world. Been a long weekend. I hauled about 280 big round bales of hay to the farm and stacked those. Uh, get ready for winter. Again, it seems like uh, the... We're in the march toward winter as soon as uh, we hit the end of June and the days start getting shorter and, and uh, spring, summer, spring comes quick, summer comes goes by fast and, uh, and the winters are long here. So anyway, it'll be time to get ready for trapping season pretty soon. A great time to, to get your stuff ready, make wax dirt and get through, go through the traps, boil, dye, wax, dip. Uh, I got my sawmill started up. I got a bunch of pine logs. I need to get the mill up and running so I can mill a bunch of boards for uh, Martin and Fisher boxes for this season. So uh, lots, lots and lots to do. Uh, But anyway, in tonight's episode, we are going to talk about a pretty interesting topic. It's getting permission to trap private land. So uh, we'll go into that in just a minute, but I think it's it's a really important topic and uh, and and uh, it's critical to having a successful trapline in many places. Uh, first off, I want to mention uh, if you haven't got a copy of my new book, Fur Profit: uh, Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market, check that out. It's available all over the place. Um, all the trapping, most of the trapping supply companies have it available in their catalogs. Uh, or online, you can get it on Amazon. It's 12 bucks. You can get it at trappingtoday.com. If you don't want to spend the whole $12 and you want to see what's in it, you can actually go on trappingtoday.com and you can buy the ebook, which is a PDF download. It's, it's the book, but it's just an electronic version of it. So you can read that on your computer. That's five bucks. So pretty cheap. Um, in the latest issue of Trapper's World, which I just received this week. Mike Marchuka reviewed Fur Profit in his product spotlight. So if you get your, your Trapper's World, it's over on page 40. And he uh, he does a review of the book, real favorable review. And I appreciate that, Mike. If you happen to listen into this podcast episode someday, uh, thank you very much for, for that. It's pretty awesome. Um, and uh, it's great to have some positive feedback uh, about the book. So uh, Jeff waiting for my picture. So Jeff says he's going to send me a picture of him holding the book. I want to see that. Anybody else, um, that would be awesome. If you want to be a supporter of the podcast, you uh, buy a copy of the book, send me a picture of you holding the book. That would be kind of funny and kind of cool. So anyway, um, another item is Cots Brothers. 
K-A-A-T-Z, if you're not familiar with those guys. Um, I don't do any advertisement for the podcast. I've decided not to do that uh, just yet. And But I do have advertisers on trappingtoday.com, which, uh, you know, the site's been going on for a long time, uh, but I just started getting into advertising the past year or two. And uh, Cots Brothers are going to be continuing to advertise on Trapping Today for uh, for at least another year. So that's pretty awesome. If you get on the site, trappingtoday.com, and you go up in the top right of the website, there's a big banner there for Cots Brothers Lures. You can check out their website, check out their new DVD, The Flat Set Fix. That's Kellen Cots' Coyote Fox Flat Set DVD. Um Really good, uh, really good DVD. I reviewed that a while back, so check that out and uh, support those guys uh, to help support trapping today. And uh, one other item of interest: the July auction for North American Fur Auctions. So we discussed this a little bit in the last episode, and I I mentioned that I was going to provide averages for uh, what fur averages in the auction when they were released, and NAFA, as of now, still has not provided averages, and I suspect that they will not. Uh, they provided a report at the end uh, of the auction, and they did not include any price averages in that report. And uh, needless to say, it was a very poor auction. Uh, they didn't sell a lot of items. Just didn't sell. They were bought back and held uh, for next year. It was just you know typical. It's a tough market to begin with. Probably having an auction, having two major auctions in May, and following up with another auction in July. Really, the market has seen all of the fur that it needs, save possibly some of the better coyotes and bobcats. But even the lower end coyotes didn't do that well. So the the report basically just says, uh, you know, uh, we finished up our sale. Thank you very much for your help. Thanks for all the buyers. Uh, it sold a much higher volume of wild fur than anyone might have expected earlier in the year, considering the state of the market. 2018 has been another tough year for all of us, and we recognize there are still many challenges ahead. Rest assured, NAFA will continue to use its resources to support the growth and future prosperity of the industry. Basically, the take-home points are that mink ranchers are losing their shirts. The mink fur prices are are just in, in the cellar. They are so low that the guys cannot afford uh, the cost of production. They they can't sell mink for the cost of, of feeding the mink. So th- there is going to be some changes in the mink farming industry in the next couple of years. No doubt there will be a lot more people that are going to what they call pelt out uh, the sell their breeding stock uh, as as fur and in uh, decrease the size of of their ranch numbers I expect that the production of ranch mink will go down substantially and it's kind of a it's you know there's a, there's a cycle there where you have supply and demand the demand is very low right now the supply is high and as 
their main creatures become unprofitable they will lower supply because they can't afford to supply a market and lose money nobody's in this business to lose money supply goes down and at some point things will stabilize to where supply and demand are relatively equal and at that point the prices will start to come back up prices will go up people will chase the high prices increase supply because they want to make more money and the cycle continues it's just like the cattle market I don't know how cyclical the ranch fur market has been in the past but the cattle market has been in a very predictable 10-year cycle for over a hundred years and you can you can watch it and you can predict it and it's still nobody seems to be able to outsmart it uh, as as producers we often think with our emotions and and look at the past and don't look ahead quite so much the struggle with us as wild fur farmers is it, that well, f well wild fur harvesters is that we are kind of uh, we are dependent on the prices that are brought in the ranch industry uh, because they they ranch fur prices make up the vast majority of all fur that's sold and because of that th that market really drives the wild fur market if wild fur you know if if, if mink is so cheap uh, why is somebody going to buy a wild mink or or other similar furs like a, a wild muskrat why is someone going to buy that pelt for a high price when they can buy uh, a ranch mink pelt for a relatively low price and get much higher quality or more uniform product so really we we depend on that ranch market there's not a lot we can do about it at this point so basically we're just kind of stuck in this low period uh, things will probably get better in in the next probably probably the next two years the ranch mink numbers will start to stabilize and prices hopefully will come back up as global demand for fur uh, continues to slowly increase there's a lot of those ranch mink are actually produced being produced in China now that Chinese have taken over a, a large portion of the the ranch fur market believe it or not over the past five or six years and that has been an, another added dynamic that that's hard to to wrap our heads around so anyway the the prices were really low the wild fur prices there's a few coyotes a few martin a few coons that sold pretty well but they're a very small percentage overall basically most items did not sell at all so it, it wasn't it wasn't really much of an an auction unfortunately and most for the most part those items those furs will just be held over and they'll be sold next year so cross our fingers hope for a better market next year but again you gotta you gotta be thinking about alternative uh, methods for marketing your fur you gotta be considering when you're gonna trap um, keeping your costs down and also only trapping when the fur is the most valuable um, or or just recognizing this coming into this season for the most part you're going to get you're not going to get very good prices so uh, you may not want to go out all out on certain items like uh, certain certain furs like beaver 
mink or coon because they're probably not going to do all that well. And if, you know, before you rack up a bunch of bills trying to trying to get out and chase that fur, just keep that in mind. If you're doing it for recreation and the fur check is just an added bonus, then that's great. Uh, but if you're if you're serious, you know, about having that fur check and you kind of depend on it for for certain expenses and part of your living, uh, it, it's going to be a tough situation. You're going to make some pretty tough decisions. So anyway, um, we will move on and we'll talk a little bit about uh, some other topics in trapping. Sorry to to have such bad news about the fur market, um, but you know there there are going to be lows. There always have been in the past, and and I think we'll come out of this and we will we will see better fur prices in the future. Um, it's just uh, sometimes it's just a matter of time. You got to make it through the, the low prices, and the the thing about trapping is there's a lot of us that are really passionate about it, enjoy doing it, and and it's more than just the money. So there's a lot of value gained uh, in trapping, intrinsic value, a lot of enjoyment, and a lot of importance to wildlife management. And really, trapping just such a such an awesome thing that even in low fur prices, uh, you can't help but enjoy it. Let's talk about getting permission to trap on private land. Now, for most people that are out trapping, permission is kind of a critical element of, of being a trapper and being able to get trapping done. There are exceptions to this. So, for instance, if you live in an area with a lot of public land available, then uh, you may not ha- need to have permission because in most areas of public land, uh, like state land or national forest or BLM land out west, uh, you don't need permission. There, it's open for everybody to trap. So that that's great because you know you don't have to figure out whose land you're on. You don't have to worry about you know finding the landowner, contacting the landowner, getting permission, and so on. So there's a lot of benefits to that. Uh, there are caveats, of course. Some state land, like when I was out in Montana, the DNRC managed the school, what they call the school plots. There were sections of state land that were, was uh, allotted when originally, uh, when when the land was surveyed out, there was uh, a number of sections were were allotted for the public to pay for the schools, and that land is used for livestock grazing. You have to, as a trapper in that those areas, you have to get permission from the DNRC to uh, to trap. And in in that state, there was actually a system where you it was a first come first serve thing, where you had to apply to be able to trap those sections, and you send your application in, and they let you know if you got it. So there's some cases like that where public land there's there was wildlife refuges when I was in Utah where uh, state wildlife management areas, there was these marshes that had tons and tons of muskrats. And if I remember right, there was a bid system where you had to bid on the uh, access to trapping rights for those refuges. And I remember a guy that I went to school with, uh, he's, he's actually now in Alaska, pretty awesome trapper, Aaron. And he, we went on a trip uh, martin trapping up in the uina mountains there in in northeast utah 
But anyway, he he won the bid on one of those areas, those wildlife management areas, and I think he he had trapped like oh it was like five or six hundred muskrats in that area, and he had it was awesome because he had you know like keys to the gates and the place all to himself. It's pretty cool if you can get it. Not so cool if you're outside on the other side of the gate, um, trapping out in the ditches. <laughs> but anyway, they're so public land. Uh, most for the most part is going to be open for trapping. You you do have to deal with other restrictions, like if you're near public trails, a lot of times there are going to be uh, setback distances from trails depending on what state you're in, what the rules are. The other big disadvantage, of course, of trapping public land is there is basically everybody can do it right so any trapper anybody that buys a trapping license can go out and trap that public land that you can trap so your competition is going to be high now times like these when the fur market's really low that competition isn't quite so much of an issue right because um you know not a lot of people are out there chasing really low low dollar furs uh, that's one of the advantages of low fur market is is we pretty much have a lot of these places to ourselves. But that being said, you're going to have competition on public land. There are some private lands that you don't need permission for. This is a really unique situation and it usually applies to large tracts of timberland. And one of those is you know where I live in northern Maine, we have an area called the North Maine Woods which is approximately three and a half million acres of private timberland. And it's owned by, um, I believe, between 10 and 20 different private landowners. There's only a few really big ones. And there is a system where there are gates, uh, all these major logging roads, and you have to pay an access fee to get through the gates. But really, it's a really minor fee, relatively. And uh, once you get that, you pay that fee it's you know it's like 75 bucks for the season uh, or like ten dollars a day once you pay that you're you're pretty much good to go you get through the gate and everything's open millions of acres of land to trap you, you do run into some competition as well but but it's it's pretty good deal and we also have that large areas of timberland and unorganized territory up here that are are not part of that system uh, that that are not gated and you can pretty much go there no fees no permission required and and you can go and trap uh, there are other places in the country like that I'm sure uh, but but that is fairly unique finally the other uh, part of uh, trapping where you do not always need permission is road trapping and there, there are certain states where this can be done and other states where not so much. Uh, just off the top of my head, uh, Iowa and South Dakota are, are two of the states that I could think of that are really open to a lot of that road trapping. What that means is that you can trap within a public right-of-way. And, and I'm sure there's some other states where this is the case. Um, there's a certain right-of-way a legal right away usually set distance from the center line of a public road <clears throat> and in these certain states you are you're able to legally trap those areas 
without permission and that opens up a lot of trapping opportunity f uh, for people in those places. Uh, there's a number of other rules like in Maine for instance we have really strict permission requirements for trappers however you do not need permission to trap beaver on private land so as long as you access that land you know if you're on a waterway you may be on private land but if you access that from the water you didn't need permission to cross that private land uh, you don't need permission to trap beaver on that private land. It's always recommended as a good idea to get permission anyway, but that's just another case where where um, there's a pretty good opportunity um, in for trappers to to be able to access land. Now, I just went over all of the exceptions to the requirements for private land permission, but the reality is for a lot of people, perhaps the majority of people, you're going to need permission to trap. Um, you may live in an area where most of the land is private, and you may live in an area where you cannot trap any of that private land uh, without permission. So you got to get permission. And even in places where you have that public land, where you have the right of way, where you can trap along the roads, it's usually more beneficial to be able to find places of private land to trap because you can eliminate that competition and a lot of times when other people are not trapping on that private land uh, that's where a lot of uh, the critters are uh, higher densities of, of fur bear populations where they're not being pressured so it's pretty important to find private land places to trap so how do we find these places um, to uh, increase the amount of land that we can access for trapping well first off we gotta know who owns the land right so this can be very easy in some places where maybe you're in a small town in a ranching community and there's only a few big ranches and you know the people who run them or whatever that can be an easy thing or it can be incredibly complex if you're in Maine a place like Maine where I am there is Unless you go to the town office and you dig through a bunch of paperwork and and uh, plat maps and everything, it is really hard to know who owns what land. Especially a lot of this land is abandoned farmland that no one's really doing anything with. It's all grown up to timber and scrub brush and the boundaries are hard to find and everything. It can be a nightmare. Now, one of the things that I've been working on a little bit um, in, in the whole trapping arena and a little bit of trapping today is uh, a, a company called Onyx Maps. And Onyx Maps, if you are not familiar with them, they were a company back a few years back, they were called Hunting GPS Maps. And they developed this the, the software that allowed you to tell whose land you were on um, anywhere when you're out hunting you're out looking for places to hunt uh, they had all the landowner information so they had the parcel that shows up and the person's name that owns that piece of land and they made a chip to put in your GPS and it tells you whose land you're on and all the landowners around you they also have uh, now they have a, a phone app for that same purpose they still have the GPS chips they have an app for uh, your desktop, your computer, 
and it's it's a pretty incredible resource and in the majority of states they have the landowner information available you pay a fee you get that information and you can pull that up on your phone you can go look at it on your computer there are just a, a whole variety of different ways to use that software and use those apps to figure out whose land you're on and, and to scout places and landowner areas in order to uh, to figure out where you might want to trap and who you need to talk to to get permission uh, now in in some places that information is not available like where I'm at in Maine so we'll go into uh, a little more fine detail on that but uh, anyway we'll, I will be working uh, quite a bit more with uh, with the Onyx product and uh, maybe doing a little bit with the company so uh, I'm kind of excited to help uh, to figure out what it can do to help us as trappers and then kind of show you guys you know what I've learned and, and how to use it on the trap line so there's a lot of potential there just wanted to throw that out um, and and uh, give you that a little bit of information maybe coming up but you need to know you go out and you ride around you see a piece of ground you get up on Google Earth and you look at the aerial photos and you, oh wow that looks like really good habitat there's got to be a lot of coyotes there. Oh, look at all the beaver flowages. So you see an area you want to trap, you got to figure out who owns the land. So there's a number of different ways to do this. You can go to the town office, look at the tax maps like we have to do here. You can get the Onyx. Uh, some places like uh, in Montana, the state uh, maintains a cadastral, which shows all the landowner information. They have a, a mapping program you can get on and pull that up and and you can find it, it's all available there. Um, in some places, you just gotta ask around basically, and uh, in small towns, uh, <clears throat> there's a few people in those towns that know everybody and know who owns what and and, and all that stuff. Uh, so, so there are different ways uh, to figure that out. And then once you, you figure that out and you know who owns the land, then you gotta get permission. Uh, that can be a challenge, so I, I guess, to go into this in a little more detail, I wrote a blog post on this back uh, about a year and a half ago. And it's called it's on trappingtoday.com called Getting Permission to Trap Private Land. If you search for that in Google, you're gonna find find that show up on Trapping Today and, and you'll see that blog post. Basically there was a a guy that had emailed me and asked, you know, you know, great job on the on the uh, the trapping today and, and this and that and, and a quick question for you how do I get I have a, a place I want to try to get permission and you know what do you recommend how how do I go about trying to get permission to trap so I thought about it and I said you know what I can answer this guy's question just for him or I could try and write up a post that would be useful for uh, a lot of people and they could reference back to it in the future so that's what I ended up doing and I think I'm going to go over this post with you uh, just because it's kind of a little better organized than I would be just trying to rattle this stuff off in my head. So I'll, I'll read through the post and I will uh, provide a little additional commentary where, where necessary. So it starts out, Accessing land is one of the greatest challenges we face as trappers, whether competing with others to trap on public land or trying to gain access to private farm, ranch, or wooded land. 
Many landowners will not allow trapping on their lands, but some do, and the way we approach the topic can mean the difference between a yes and a no. Here's some tips on getting permission. Um, and, and one of the things I forgot, I didn't mention in the post here is that uh, trappers are really, in my opinion, as far as I can tell, are held to a higher standard than anyone else when it comes to getting permission. Because, you know, you are, you're not just like, you know, a hunter that's riding around, sees a deer, shoots it, goes and gets it, and pulls in the truck and, goes, and drives off. You know, you, you are going to a place repeatedly, you're spending a lot of time there, uh, you're, you're working it, you're, you're making a number of different sets, and the regulations on trapping are extremely strict in pretty much most most states. Trappers are held to a very high standard, and in most places, trappers uh, are required. Even in places uh, like like Maine, where the you do not need permission to hunt a piece of ground if it's not posted, you do need in in organized towns, if if it even if a land is not posted, you still need permission to trap it. Uh, so tra- that's a case where trappers are held to a higher standard, and there are a lot of other cases where where that uh, is it also is evident. So here are some tips: cold call landowners. So this approach is basically just throwing everything out and and just trying to contact as many people as possible and knowing that the success rate is going to be pretty low but you may get a few hits. So one approach to getting permission to trap land is find out who owns land in the area you want to trap and contact a whole bunch of these landowners. So When I first started trapping I was just like 16 years old, 17 years old. Uh, This is what I did. So you know I had all this timber land I could trap but I was right next to a town called Winterville which was kind of an unorganized town but it did have a town office and it had a bunch of parcels and a bunch of different landowners and the interesting thing was most of these landowners were actually people that lived out of state Uh, although you know there were about 200 people that lived in the town uh, most of them did not own any land and the people who owned the land they were their they were their parents or grandparents had farms there and the farms grew up and they died and the kids moved away to find work and the basically it's just a bunch of forest a bunch of trees that are split up on the map on the tax map into different parcels uh, owned by different people so I went to the local town office I found out who owned which parcels I got their names and addresses this was you know back before many people used email and it was kind of a you know a snail mail thing, and I sent letters out. I sent letters to each each parcel that I thought I wanted to trap in this area, and I asked permission. I basically you know I was trying to be polite and kind. I said, you know I, I'm I'm a trap. I'm trying to get into trapping. Uh, I'm from the area. I wanted to see if you would allow me permission to trap on your land, and I'll take care of the land. I'm not gonna you know do anything to it whatever um, that's the way I did it with letters you could also use uh, you know you could call you do phone calls you can do nowadays you can do email Facebook you know there was not any Facebook back when I did this um, uh, you pretty much find anybody on Facebook now so 
as long as you know who the landowner is, you can do this. So this method can work. Problem is, it isn't very effective. Uh, very low, low success rates. So I sent letters, you know, handwritten letters to more than a dozen landowners, and I only got two responses from those dozen letters. Uh, one was a yes, one was a no. Uh, one of the guys, and it was a really nice piece of ground, and he basically just said, uh, the land is in a trust, so I can't give you permission. Um, I don't think that was the case. I think he just wanted to get me off his back. But anyway, <laughs> uh, that land has been untouched, and I'm still here. I'm back here uh, t 20 years later, 15, 20 years later, and that land has, they've done nothing with that land, and they probably won't do anything with it for 20 more years, and there'll be a big forest, and, and someone will get it cheap. But anyway, um, so so didn't get permission there. Didn't, obviously, the 10 or 12 that did not respond, I didn't get permission. One guy said yes, and it was kind of funny because he he, he was a guy from Connecticut, and he just, he bought the land, it was like a couple hundred acres, and he bought it to hunt on, and he was actually a really nice guy, which uh, is kind of funny, because a lot of the people that we know from, from Connecticut, or Massachusetts that come up here, you know, maybe nice is not, um, there are a lot of nice people, but uh, they're just different, you know, the city, they're, they're city people, and they think differently than rural people think. But this guy was just a really cool guy, and I actually, uh, later on, I actually ran into him. I was on his land hunting without permission, but it wasn't posted, and I walked up to him on his tree stand, and I felt just terrible. I just like, oh man, I'm so sorry, and he said, no. He said, I, I bought this land for hunting. He said, you can hunt here. I don't have a problem with it. He said, this is, you know, this is for, for people to hunt, and so anyway, the guy did send me a letter back, uh, back when I when I sent that, and he said, "Yes, I'll give you permission." He said, "Just do not sue me if you get hurt on my land." So, so that's something to consider. That is a concern that some people have. Maine actually has a law that protects landowners from being sued uh, when recreational uh, users get hurt on their land. But anyway, something to consider. Uh, so this was really a low success rate. So here's why it didn't work great. Uh, landowners didn't know me. They didn't know who I was. Didn't know what kind of person I was. If I, you know, what kind of trapper I was. If I knew what I was doing or whatever. So uh, they were taking a chance by giving me permission. Basically, they had nothing to gain and everything to lose. Um, they, the only reason they would say yes is if they wanted to be nice. But other than that, it was, a, you know, there wasn't a lot of benefit for them. Um, and that's the second point I have is I didn't provide a perceived benefit to them as a landowner. Uh, you need to think about this. You, you need to think of how you can benefit that landowner because uh, really, unless they can see a benefit, you're unli unlikely to get permission. And the other thing was it took work for them to respond. Uh, so so um, not only did it put them at some level of potential risk, uh, you know, someone might get hurt and sue, uh, they had to actually sit down and, and write a letter or make a phone call to, to give me permission for, for not a lot of benefit. So these people also were, you know, absentee. They didn't, they didn't spend but a week or two, a year on this land. Some, some probably haven't seen it in 20 years. And uh, they didn't really care, you know, 
what was going on with wildlife populations on their land or whatever. So uh, I did get permission from landowners that lived l nearby and were locals. Uh, and, and, you know, the few people that were locals that did own property, I, I had much better uh, odds and, and much better success getting permission from them because they knew me. They knew my family. Basically, where I grew up, um, people, the first question they ask is who your parents are. So um, your, your family reputation is a big deal. And fortunately for me, my family had a good reputation being upstanding, honest people and hardworking. And, uh, you know, they had a connection to the land. They hunted deer and so on. They wanted to see coyotes killed. And so they could see the benefits. You know, their roads have been flooded by beaver. So they, they saw benefits from fur bears har being harvested from their land. So, so these are key points that will help you to access more land. Um, so here's a short plan uh, that will help, I think, increase your chances for success getting permission to trap. Number one is to learn about the landowner. And you can't always do this. It's not going to be easy for a lot of landowners, especially if they're absentee or whatever. But... You know, if you if you immerse yourself in a community, you get to know people, and you ask around, you ask the right questions, and you do a little bit of research. Nowadays, there's a lot of information available online. Try to, you know, if you see a piece of ground that you really want to access, uh, try to do your research on it and, and figure out who owns it and, and learn a little bit about them. So finding out more about the landowner of the ground that you'd like to trap will help you put together an approach for getting permission. So you can start by asking questions of people, friends, family, others that you know have been around the community. They usually know who, who owns land and what the history is, who bought it from who, what what was that a farm? You know, there's an old time where you say, I used to mow that field and there's there's like, you know, sixteen inch spruce trees growing up in in the middle of this piece of ground and and uh, the guy used to bush hog it when he was a kid 60 50 years ago um, if the land is owned from someone from away in my case they're you know basically they do nothing with the land it's just timberland that grows up and they they pay someone to cut it for them uh, every 20 30 years but it in a lot of cases if the land is managed for something other than timber if it's, uh, you know, a recreational property, if there's a fish pond and there's fields that are mowed and it's managed for hunting, if it's a working ranch, like a cattle ranch out west, there's going to be people that are, are going to be paid to manage that piece of property. Sometimes it's just a local guy that they pay to mow it and they give him access to hunt if, uh, if he keeps other people out. Uh, that I've seen that a lot up this way. And other times it's a full-on employee, full-time employee ranch manager that lives on the place. I've seen that a lot out west. So uh, this person can be a key person. If you can befriend this land manager and explain to them how trapping can help their management, you may get access to two pieces of ground that way. And that's, that's really um, a good, a really good strategy because you can get some big pieces of ground this way. Now, if the landowner lives on the property or lives in the area, uh, figure out what they use that land for and what their goals are for that land. Is it a farm where crops are grown or livestock are raised? What are their motivations? Have they had problems with animal damage? If they've had problems, 
they'll be much more likely to support having a trapper. So this is kind of the, the groundwork that'll help you kind of narrow things down, figure out, okay, these are the people I want to focus on. This is how I'm going to approach these landowners. This is how I'm going to approach those landowners. Kind of maximize your efforts to where you're going to get the most success. Play the long game. Uh, the most successful method for getting access to trapping ground is to build relationships with landowners. Uh, again, it can't always be done, but this is where you get success. This takes time and effort, and it may not be for you. Maybe you don't want to go through this. Uh, some people are people people. Some people are not people people. I'm kind of in the middle, I guess. Um, sometimes it's difficult to to make a whole bunch of different friends and try to maintain all these different relationships. Uh, and some people don't want to talk at all, and they just want to go out in the woods. Uh, so this takes time and effort. It may not be for you, but it certainly pays off in the long term. Reach out to friends, family, or acquaintances who know the landowner. Ask lots of questions. Get an idea of what they do, what motivates them, how you can develop a positive relationship with them. Most importantly, visit the landowner. Nothing is as important as a face-to-face -face conversation, and the most valuable thing you can offer someone is your time. I struggle with this because I know, and, and think about it, the majority of these landowners are old-timers. Most of the land is owned by old people, people 50, 60 years of age or older. And they're retired, they have a long history, they have a lot of valuable information, and they get nobody to talk to. A lot of the old timers, their friends aren't around anymore, their kids moved away, or the kids want nothing to do with the farm. The They have a lot of experience they don't have the ability to do a lot anymore necessarily. Maybe their health is going downhill. Uh, but there's nothing that these old timers love more than to be able to talk with young people about the past. And I'm fascinated to hear about the past. The problem is I, I, can't, I can't sit down for three hours um, two, three times a week and hear about the past because I, I'm go, 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 and, and I won't get anything done. But if you can do that, Giving your time and attention to somebody is the most valuable thing that you can do, and and you can you can form some very important relationship bonds with people and and gain access to land and and really you may find that access to land is just kind of a side thing and and the real benefit was was the wisdom and the friendship and and all that that you gained from from uh, spending time with those those guys. So listen to what they have to say, learn about their interests, their concerns, their motivations, and when it's appropriate, offer to help. Don't just come in and say, hey, I want to help you do this, and I'm going to put a trap on your land. You know, slow, ease your way into it a little bit. You know, figure out a little bit more about them. And, uh, you know, maybe this guy, you know, this landowner, it, you're talking about trapping, or you're talking about the history and what they're what this place was and it was an old dairy farm and, and it shut down and the barn's falling apart and the lands, the fences are gone and and uh, his goal is, is he's got two fields that he maintains and they're growing in every year a little bit and on the edges and, and he's got an old tractor with a bush hog and, and uh, he does his best basically to just keep those fields open and it's just the last semblance of you know what the place used to be. Believe it or not that that's a lot of rural America. There's there's a lot of that going on. A lot of where where I come from, uh, 
a lot of people just mow fields just to keep them fields and and that's you know that's about it that's about all that's left of you know they all grew up farming and uh and they don't anymore um so in that case offer to help them bush hog those fields you know something like that once you've figured out you know what they need and what you could you could be of help with uh, maybe they got a cattle farm. They get they need help rounding up cows, uh, sorting calves, working calves. Uh, maybe there's a bunch of trash being dumped on their land. You can help them clean up. You know, get creative and and basically use the information you learn from spending time with these landowners uh, to f- to figure that out. And finally, sell yourself. So, sell yourself as a trapper. Let the landowner know your made motivations. Be honest and forthcoming. Tell them why you're interested in trapping their land. Um, maybe the land's convenient for you because it's close to home, or you've seen lots of sign. Maybe you know there's a bunch of beaver lodges, or you you know seen coyotes on the place, or um, whatever. Uh, if you're trapping to make money, be honest about it. If you're a new trapper, learning the ropes. Uh, if you're an experienced trapper, uh, you can mention that too. the The most important thing I think is to be honest. Uh, you know because Dishonesty does not resonate well, uh, especially with landowners, and it's a surefire way to ruin your relationship and, and potentially lose access to a place. So, so be honest with them uh, w- with where you're at. And sometimes this can be tough because, especially if you're a young trapper and you want to get access, you 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 kind of want to act like you know what you're talking about. And a lot of times, the old timer if if they if they hear that this is your first year trapping, they may not want you trapping their land. They may have some some experienced trappers that have been on there before. Um, I actually ran into this in Montana quite a bit. There was a government trapper that was would go to these ranches, and I asked a few of the ranchers for permission to trap coyotes on their land, and they didn't even ask if I had experience trapping coyotes. Well, I didn't have gray hair, so I didn't have experience. But they they basically said, no, the government trapper, he doesn't want anybody on here because he, they educate. You're just going to educate them coyotes. And some of that was probably true. But um, that that can be a disadvantage, but you can't play it up like you know more than you know. That's That will always catch up to you. So uh, if you can be a young trapper and a good trapper, and that may not that may not work for you in a lot of cases because you can't unless, until you can prove with pictures and numbers and the reputation around town that you can kill those critters. Uh, you you are not going to get access to some places for that very reason. People are going to be afraid you're going to educate and you're going to miss animals and everything else. That's just part of the game. Uh, the way I figure you you do that successfully is you just put your head down, you work through it, and a few years later those landowners are gonna look back and say, "Wow, that guy really can catch. That boy can catch some beaver. Um, I need to get him back on here and and trap my ground." So so just be honest um, and sell your services as a trapper. So regardless of your experience level, uh, trappers do provide a valuable service to many landowners. In many parts of the country, landowners have problems with beavers flooding roads, cutting trees, damaging ag land, muskrats dig holes and pond banks, that's gotten me permission on places, destroy levees, coyotes and foxes kill chickens, turkeys, sheep, goats, the coyotes are also known deer killers in many areas. 
otter and mink remove valuable fish from farm ponds. Fishers are known to take cats right off the front porch. There are lots of problems caused by fur-bearing animals, but um, I don't think we should turn these critters into outright villains. So, um, you know, there's a balance there too. You know, you're going to have a landowner, you're going to figure this out by spending some time and talking with them and figuring out if they got a trout pond, figure out, you know, if they got livestock, they got pets, they, you know, whatever, they got roads that are, there's beaver flowages there. These are all things that, that you can use to your advantage to show them that I can take care, help you take care of this problem. At the same time, um, we need to remember that fur bears perform valuable ecosystem functions when in proper balance with man and nature. So we should, you know, we don't need to be this all-out fire-breathing predator-killing machine. You know, keep in mind that, you know, regulated trapping is, is important for wildlife management as a whole. Now, sometimes, you know, you're dealing with people and some people, every, every coyote's a dead, every dead coyote's a good coyote. There's no such thing as a good beaver. There, there are those attitudes and, and, you know, maybe you adjust what you say to people based on, you know, what their reactions are, are to that. But in general, you don't want to come in just um, ready to kill every critter in sight unless that is absolutely necessary. Because, you know, we're, we're not, um, as trappers, we're, we're not just a bunch of hired killers, you know. We are wildlife managers. So we need to, to present that to people that we meet and talk with that, you know, we care about these fur bears and we want the populations to be maintained and healthy over the long term. Uh, we're going to help solve your damage problem, but also we're going to remove some excess animals from populations. Uh, they're going to maintain health in the populations overall. So just because you're not having a beaver problem this year, that doesn't mean you don't need to give me permission to trap. You know, what I'm doing is, is good for the overall uh, fur bear numbers and populations and the balance in, in the ecosystem. So, you as a trapper can help the landowner who has animal damage concerns while also promoting overall ecosystem health. How cool is that? Selling this idea properly to each unique landowner can be a challenge, but if you do it right, you can open up plenty of doors to new trapping grounds and build long-lasting relationships with landowners. You know, you can form bonds with these people over the years that, that are, are really, uh, really neat. When you develop a good relationship with a landowner, you'd be surprised the many other options that might materialize. So, in conclusion, gaining access to land is critical to the future of trapping. We as trappers can always do a better job with landowner relations. So, I hope, the, I hope these tips can help you out find more land. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to uh, get back to me with that on uh, feedback on the whole landowner permission thing. Uh, you can always contact me, jrodwood at gmail.com. That's J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Pick up a copy of the book for me for a profit. Appreciate that. Send that picture along, you holding the book. That would be awesome. And until next time, keep on thinking trapping, keep on talking trapping, and learning about trapping. Appreciate having you here, and we'll catch you on the next episode.